sermon in mind, and I'd even done some preparation this week. You may not believe it, but I had. And um, I came to reading and praying this morning. There's one particular reading that was uh, given today by the church for people to read uh, every day. And I read that, and I thought, no, that's something I need to speak about today. Because it's a particular reading that is precious to us as a church. I'm going to read a bit from it in just a second. But two years ago, as I was welcoming people to church, it was our first Sunday, I was particularly nervous, full of nervous energy, uh, and uh, I remember I was sort of welcoming everything that moved. I mean, if, there was any, if anything just even moved slightly, I would welcome it. And particularly, I was particularly hot on things or people I hadn't seen before. And uh, a particular man came in, and I'd never seen him before, and his name's Don, he's just to my right here at the moment. And Don, I'd never seen Don before, and so I saw him, and I just went straight away to welcome him. I was probably a bit much, to be honest. And, uh, and Don, Don had just showed up to look at the space. He hadn't intended to come, but I invited him to, to have a tea, and, and I prevailed upon him, and he ended up having to stay for the whole service, the poor man. My enthusiasm overcame him, but I welcomed Don, and, and I was nervous about how this thing would go. Like, would this church take? Would it survive beyond its first week? Uh, and Don just turned to me and said, God is going to do incredible things in this place. And that was comforting. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know where he'd got it from. And I just said to him, how do you know? He said, trust me, I know. God's going to do incredible things in this place. Those are the words he used. I remember them absolutely clearly. Now, the next week, we met together, and Don told me a story. Now, I don't have time to tell you the whole story. It's on a website if you want to hear it. Uh, but in that story, he shared a dream, and the dream was a dream he had at the end of, end of 2011, and that's sort of six years, pretty much, before when we were meeting. And he had a dream, and in the dream, he was driving down the road outside as the Mansfield Road, and he came upon a church, and as he did, he saw some people who were wearing all white and they fell down in front of his car, so he went to investigate what was going on. And uh, he didn't know what was going on, why they'd fallen down, but he just heard a voice as he was looking at them saying, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So he went to look in the building, I'm just curtailing this, this is in brief. He went to look in the building and he saw worship of the kind he'd never seen before, and he saw a baptism pool in the middle, and people being baptized, and as they were baptized, they walked out into the city wearing all white. And I believe that that was a vision of the fact that people who are baptized are going to go and transform the city in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a vision of the church on fire, making a difference in the city, doing a transforming work in the city, bringing the city to life. And that's our hope and our vision. Now, quite quickly, I began to see the connection between that dream, which Don then faithfully prayed over for many years between Two years of which he just would sit outside and pray week by week for this church, which didn't yet exist. I began to see the connection. We began to see the connection between that dream and the vision uh, that I read about this morning. And it's a vision from the book of Ezekiel. It's a heavy book. I don't necessarily uh, recommend you go home and chew on it for your Easter lunch. Takes a bit of getting through. But in the vision, Ezekiel is led by a man outside the temple, from the temple. And what he finds in the temple, which is the place of God's presence, he finds water trickling out from under the threshold of the temple. Now, those of you who have been a part of Trinity Church, you know that water has trickled around these parts. Unfortunately, the water has tended to be trickling in to the building rather than trickling out of the building. But Ezekiel's vision has water moving out of the temple. And as it goes further into the city, the further it gets into the city, the deeper the water becomes. It moves from being at ankle level to knee level to waist level. And then it becomes so deep 
that you can't cross it. In fact, you just have to get in. You have to swim in it. And the key thing about this water is wherever this water goes, there's life. It brings life. It does stuff. The water has a transforming power to it. It impacts the surrounding area. Now, water is obviously incredibly important to us as we think about baptism. But it's also a key image used in the gospel, particularly the gospel of John, for resurrection and new life. And so it has dual significance for us today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and as we think about baptism. But what does it do? What is the symbolism and the significance of water? Amy. Thank you. These guys... Tag, I'm in. Um, So these guys this morning are going to make a public physical declaration. Um, They're going to come literally in and out um, of the water as a response, though, to something that is happening so much deeper, something that's happening internally. And as you can see, as Johnny said, the water here, I hope is warm, um, is a key ingredient um, in baptism. And so I'm just going to spend really quick, um, I'm going to suggest three things um, that this water represents. So firstly, water quenches. In John 4, um, verse 13, um, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman who is at a well collecting water. I mean, it's a great, it's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I would highly recommend going to read it, but I'm not going to go into it um, right now. It's all about Jesus' love and grace and his mercy, Uh, but I just want to pick out what Jesus says um, to this woman. He says to her, Everyone who drinks this water, the water that she's collecting from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus here is talking about something way beyond physical needs, way beyond this woman's physical needs. He's talking about a water that will satisfy a thirsty soul. And I would suggest that we're all thirsty. We're thirsty for meaning. We're thirsty for answers. We're thirsty for satisfaction, for peace, for joy, for hope. And, you know, we have um, lots of people asking us um, kind of often the same questions. Is there more to life? Is there more to life than this? Is this it? Is this it? Is this all it is? What happens when we die? Even I was putting my um, daughter, who's eight, to bed um, the other day. And as I was putting her down, she said, but mum, what is life about? What is it about? Even the eight-year-olds are asking the questions. You know, thirst manifests itself in so many different ways. So many, so many ways we seek satisfaction for a deeper thirst that's going on within us. And you know, for me, um, many of you know this, but I, um, I grew up going to church, but I fell away um, when I was a teenager. Uh, And in my 20s, I became increasingly dissatisfied uh, with life. The things that I I was doing um, to fulfill, to satisfy, to bring worth um, to my life were actually beginning to um, cause me more pain than good. I was deeply, deeply thirsty, so deeply lonely and confused, but I don't think I would have even said it. I wouldn't have even been able to name um, that thirst um, that, was within, that was within me. 
And when I was 21, I had a real encounter with Jesus that changed my life, completely and utterly changed my life. I met the Jesus that we read about just now. I met the Jesus that said to the woman, I can satisfy your thirst forever. Jesus has turned my life completely upside down. He has given me meaning. He has given me um, a life and a purpose that I honestly didn't think was possible. He has shown me and is continuing to show me what it is like to live in the grace, in the life that he has set out before me. And you know, it doesn't mean that my life is easy. It doesn't mean that I get everything I want and it's a happy, clappy life. But it does mean that I have a soul that is fully satisfied, a deep, deep thirst that is satisfied, that he is with me now and forever. That is the promise that I know that he is with me through thick and thin forever. And it says, Jesus says in uh, John 7, it says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, dreams of living water will flow from within him. I believe there's an invitation here for all of us this morning to get our thirst satisfied, but not just once, but forever. Okay, so firstly, water quenches the thirst that is deeply within us. Water cleanses. Secondly, water cleanses. Water in baptism represents a different kind of cleansing. It's not just a cleaning of the outside of our bodies, but a deeper internal cleansing. It's cleansing us from our sin and leaving us free. When we go down into the water, it's symbolic of us being cleansed from all the mess, all the chaos in our lives, all the stuff that blocks us from God. God God washes away all the stuff that clings to us. He washes away all the stuff that clings to us. As Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated all our sin and he took all our mess onto himself so that we might be free. And by his cleansing, we are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer bound to sin. He asks us simply to leave the old life behind, the regrets, the mistakes, the stuff that you're ashamed of, the stuff that you wish you never did, because it doesn't define you anymore. It isn't who you are. He helps us become the people we were created to be the people we were originally intended to be, sons and daughters of God. Easter is all about cleansing, the cleansing that happens when we're forgiven of our sins. This is what Jesus achieves for us on the cross. It's what we celebrate today. The slate is clean. The slate is clean. It's new beginnings. So we come to the water. We come to the water needing to be cleaned. We come needing to be cleaned. Okay, so it quenches, it cleanses, and thirdly, water revives. This image is of new life. Water is literally the difference between life and death. We can't survive without a drink. We can't survive without it. And it's the same with Jesus. Sin makes us dead. It doesn't just make us immoral or bad people, but makes us dead. Jesus wants us to be fully alive. This is the invitation to be fully alive. Jesus has conquered death so we may live 
and be with God forever. In baptism, we go under the water, which symbolizes the death we each must die. It's a death to ourselves, uh, to sin, to the mess, to the chaos um, in our lives, our addictions, habits, all the sin that tangles us up and keeps us held back and controls us. And in God's grace, we come out of the water as a reborn man or woman. This process of death and rebirth is at the very heart of the Easter story. In baptism, we are united with Christ in his dying and rising. Without Jesus, we live and we die. Without him, we drown in our sin. But he offers us new life. He offers us life. He offers us breath. Baptism is a living picture of what Jesus does for every person who would come to him and simply say yes. He paid the price on the cross so we might live. There is hope. And I want to say this morning that there is hope for every single situation in this room. Every single situation in this room that you think right now is hopeless. I'm saying that there is hope in the resurrection of Jesus. There is hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a pure act of grace. Pure grace. And now we have to try and live in the grace. To sum it all, I'm just going to read really quick. Um, in the message version, Romans 6, 3 to 11. This is what Paul says to the church in Rome, which basically sums everything up I just said. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happens in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we come up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. Amen. Amen. So, so water quenches, water cleanses, water revives, or perhaps better we would say Jesus quenches, Jesus cleanses, Jesus revives, and in baptism we're united with him as he does that. 
Back to Ezekiel's water as we close. In his vision, wherever the water flows from the temple, there's life. This is what we read. This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. This church is a picture of what God has for us. God has life and life abundantly for every person he created, and that life is available to every person he created, and all it takes is trust in Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus as an event united with the cross of Jesus secures that life for all people. And there's a question that's raised that the the, the man who takes Ezekiel on this whistle-stop tour through the temple asks Ezekiel, here it is, As the man, rather, verse 6, he asked me, son of man, do you see this? The question to Ezekiel there is not, do you see it with your eyes? Ezekiel's in the vision. He sees what's happening. The question is, is, does he perceive the meaning of it? Does he really understand what the events are about? Does he understand what it all means? And the question that we come to on Resurrection Sunday, on Easter, is do we perceive it? Not do we not kind of kind of we understand that Christians talk about a man who is dead and then is alive, but do we perceive the significance of it? Do you get it? Today do you get that every other thing is changed that, that by this event? That if this happened, if Jesus was raised from the dead, then everything else is shifted by the significance of the event. Do you understand? Do you see it? That's what I say to you this morning, as you sing these songs, as you consider these ideas, as you hear these words, these testimonies, as you watch and witness these baptisms, do you perceive what's going on? Do you see that this is more than a symbol, a memorial to a dead man, but the evidence of the activity of a living Jesus? That the Jesus who was crucified is now alive and is changing lives even today? even as you see it in front of you. That the resurrection of Jesus, as these stories are about to show you, unleashes a power in the world that cannot be contained and that will not be tamed. And it's the power of goodness, of truth, of life, of grace, and of hope. It's God's power. And yes, there will be times of trial, as Amy said. There will be grief, there will be loss, there'll be accident and disaster. But none of these things will have the last word. Because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, God has had the last word already, and the word is life. So let's say together, as it comes up on the screen, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.